0: Well, good morning, I'm Heath, you made it in spite of time change robbing you of an hour of sleep. I, I typically don't do this, but show of hands, who went to bed an hour earlier to make sure you didn't lose that sleep? Anybody? Like three people. <laughs> Some people are like, what are you talking about? All right, so uh, this morning we're going to be in Mark 11. Uh, hopefully, during the week, uh, you're in the Word. Hopefully, the Word is speaking to you. There's a verse in Mark 11 um, that just hit me in the face, mostly because I had a question by it. And I encourage you, as you read the Bible, when you have questions, um, take that as a prompting that maybe the Holy Spirit wants something out of that for you to glean and for you to um, grow in. So, I am a child of the 80s. All of... Middle school, uh, elementary and middle school were solo 80s, and half of uh, my freshman year of high school uh, was the 80s. 80s gave us lots of things other than my most awkward phase of my life. Um, we got post-it notes in the 80s. Anybody? Yeah! Uh, we got MTV in the 80s. Yeah. It's, yeah. Anyway, I, I'm not saying these are good or bad. This is just what came out of the 80s. We got The Simpsons in the 80s. We got Seinfeld in the 80s. No soup for you. We got the original Game Boy in the 80s. Not Game Boy Color. Game Boy. This was was before DVD players in long trips, and the Game Boy was a game changer. I'm telling you, I remember a trip down to Louisiana, and, like, the game boy literally kept me and my brothers from killing each other. (laughs) It was a long trip. Uh, We also, for those sports people out there, we also got Olympic gold in hockey against the Soviet Union in the 80s. Miracle on Ice. Anybody saw that movie? (laughs) Another thing that we got out of the 80s, I think it got reborn in 1983. It was originated from a French word, and it's poser. (laughs) Any bad memories come out of that word right there? Well, I'm going to tell you one of mine. So just in case you're not sure what poser means, dictionary.com defines it this way. A person who attempts to impress others by assuming a specific manner or a degree of elegance. Other than his true one. Poser. Well, if you're reminded of a specific time in your life where you were hurled those words. Do they still use that? Is that is that a word? Probably not. Okay, yeah, Posers? You, okay, okay. Um, it was a painful word. So, well, when I was in sixth grade... Um, surprisingly or not, you might look at me and go, man, this guy was a superstar athlete. I'm <laughs> uh, shocking, I know, but I was not, I was not a superstar anything. Um, one of my memories prior to this is coach pitch. This is probably why I'm not going to play softball. And I wanted, I had dreams of hitting it over the fence, which was a big dream, have to know, but I swung so swung so hard that I ended up on the ground, not making contact to the ball. I would love to say I hit it, swung, fell on the ground, over the fence. No, just a strike on the ground. So, needless to say, in sixth grade, I wasn't playing soccer, but soccer was a big deal uh, in the '80s in my town. Uh, the cool kids played soccer. And also in the 80s, what was really popular was this indoor Adidas soccer shoe with the flap, with the flap over the laces. And Even though I didn't play soccer, I wanted those shoes because those shoes were like the embodiment of cool. And we didn't have a whole lot of money back then, and I begged my mom to buy me a pair of those adidas and i'm sure the night before i was like i probably couldn't even sleep thinking i'm gonna wear these shoes to school tomorrow anybody any of you younger people in here get something and you're so excited for the next day that you finally get to play with or do or wear or whatever that well i was like i was so excited i got up and i probably you know dressed i probably put on my shoes first didn't realize i got to wear other clothes took them off put my real clothes on and put my shoes on. I probably like clean them real good. And I remember the place. I went to the school in Southern Pines, North Carolina. And it had a little, it wasn't really a courtyard, but it was kind of an area square in the middle of the school. And I was out there and some of the soccer boys came over. And they're like, you're a poser. I don't. I I've, I've blocked most of this, so I don't know if I'd, I knew what that word meant or if I had to ask what that word meant. But it was felt, and I—I I don't know that I'm lying here, but I don't think I ever wore those shoes to school again. I wore them outside of school, but I didn't wear them to school again. Today, um, I feel like over the last few weeks we've had some pretty. Um, intense words from Scripture, convicting, challenging words. And I feel like today, out of Mark 11, um, it's not going to be any less challenging because we're going to see that Jesus has problems with posers. So my one thing today, which I put at the end of this, is don't be a poser. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would eliminate condemnation that would come unjustly and condemn us past your grace and past your mercy. Lord, I pray for the conviction to move us to cherish what you've done for us on the cross so much so that we don't have to pretend To be loved by you. We can just be loved by you. So Lord I pray that your word. Would speak to us today. Stronger than me. Stronger than my words. Telling what I think this text means. Lord I pray that your text. Would speak to our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. Mark 11 ends uh, starts with the triumphal entry of Jesus. So we're coming um, to resurrection, we're coming to the crucifixion, and on the triumphal entry, he enters into the city that is ripe with anticipation. That he's excited that Jesus is coming in. They're worshiping him as he's walking into the city. <laughs> The same people, and I said this a few weeks ago. The same people that were cheering for his entry were claiming, were speaking for his death. They wanted him crucified. And this is the first text, um, verse eleven, that kind of started this wheel going. And I, I just encourage you, like as you're in the Word, when something's going on and you're like, "What is that?" Like the Holy Spirit speaks in and through us when we get in the Word. Don't ignore. Things that are like, "Mm," for me, a lot of times it's like "Mm, that's a little weird, and so what I typically do, and you can look in my journal for this week, I'll write down that verse, and then I'll half the time it's just a question like, why did this happen? So verse eleven, so he had just been worshipped into the city, and Jesus knows the reality of what's coming. He's just been worshipped into the city, and even though it's past time. He enters into the temple. It says, And he entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, which this, I believe, is leading to what I want to talk to, sandwiched in between this poser story, is he looked around, and as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So he makes this triumphal entry. By the time he gets to the temple, things are shut down. He looks around, and then he leaves. And we pick it up in verse 12 as he's returning back to the city. It says, On the following day when he came from Bethany, he was hungry. I think sometimes we forget that Jesus was human, that Jesus felt and experienced all the things that we experienced, even hunger. Verse 13, it says, And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. Because remember, he was hungry. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For, and this is what, this is the whole reason I'm preaching this text. For, it was not, season, it was not the season for figs. And like literally in my journal, it's like, why? Why? Why is why is Jesus angry at something that shouldn't be there? Literally. I mean, if you've never read that and been like, it's not, it's not the season for figs, and Jesus knows this. Why would he be angry? And I'm going to do my best to hopefully explain why this happened, which will lead to this whole thing, um, which I think this whole illustration of the fig tree is a representation of Israel. Which... We can't just go, oh, Israel, they weren't doing the right thing then. This is a representation of our hearts, potentially. So this verse just got my attention. So why was Jesus expecting something from the tree that wasn't its time to produce? Uh, A little fun note here is Bethany is right beside Bethpage, which was known as a fig region. It was literally considered the house of figs. Bethpage, which is beside Bethany, which, you know, you would think in this region, like this is is the place of figs. So, and I am not a tree person, so like I'm doing my best with the information that I found. Figs start budding before leaves. They produce an edible bud that you can eat Actually, a lot of the impoverished people of the region would eat these. It was the precursor of the fig. And so Jesus seeing this in the distance, a tree within leaf, it would give you the indication that there are these edible buds that are there. So in his hunger, he could have something to eat, and then he gets there and there's nothing. And typically what this means, if there's, if there's leaves but no buds, there will be no fruit that year. So in spite of it not being the season, and this was as it's leading into, this is the season that they're starting. And so if there's leaves there, there should have been buds. If there's no buds, there will be no fruit. And this is for free. And you can, you can deep dive on this or throw it away. But reading this about leaves reminded me of Adam and Eve. And what did Adam and Eve do to hide their shame? They hid behind leaves. We spend our lives hiding behind things, listen to this, that God clearly sees through. That's for free. You can you can you can dig into that later. Verse 14. And he said to it, Jesus goes to the tree, no fruit is there, and he's getting ready to speak a curse on this tree. And Jesus said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard it. That's there because here in just a little bit, we're going to hear Jesus be reminded, hey, there's the fig tree that you cursed. Think of this. On the way into the city... Jesus sees a tree that should be in the beginning stages of fruiting, as he' fruiting, as he's entering a city that is filled with the temple, which is filled with the people that should know and experience and be the most fruitful people of the world. because they're God's people. And I believe this is a direct reflection of what he finds and why he is crucified. There. So interesting, and this is going back to verse 11 when I said that he looked around. This is what I think he saw the night before. Sandwiched in between this fig story, there's an interesting, um, and it's in most of the Gospels. Sometimes it, it shows up in different places. I think one, it was a little bit earlier, where Jesus cleansed the temple. And so in verse 14, Fifteen. It says, and they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. <clears throat> and he was teaching them and saying, Is it not written, written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? but you have made it a den of robbers. Note to self, if you ever read a quotation of an Old Testament passage, go back and read the Old Testament passage because he's making an indication from an Old Testament passage that you, you get its meaning from it. If Jesus is quoting it, go back and read it. Um, in Isaiah 56, 6, it says, and the foreigners who joined themselves to the Lord, so non-Jews, who declared, Je- not Jesus at this time, de- declared God as their God, joined themselves to the Lord to minister him, to Him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be His servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain. And I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. Thank the Lord, because this is us. If you're not born a Jew, then He's speaking to us Gentiles. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And the Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares... I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered, which is what Jesus is doing. He's opening up the door to us. And so what you may not know is this area where all of these money changers were, because to pay the temple tax, you had to pay it with Hebrew money. You could not pay it with Greek or Roman money because it had images on it that was Desecrate, it, was, it was the desecration to take it into the temple. So you had to change your money into Hebrew money so that you could pay your temple tax, and you had to, if you didn't have them already, especially if you traveled in from a far-off place, you had to get sacri- get these pigeons and other things for the sacrifice, right? All of these things could be gotten outside of this area. So they were making it convenient for God's people to worship. And you know where they made it convenient for God's people to worship? Right where the Gentiles were allowed to worship. This was the closest place they could get to the Holy of Holies. This is the, the furthest into the temple that they could get Gentiles, us. And so he's quoting Isaiah 56, saying, hey, I'm going to gather which aren't mine. It is acceptable for them to bring offering. And the place that they were allowed to go and worship, you filled with this. This is why he's angry. Because the church was meant to be an open door for them. The temple was meant to be a place where foreigners, even that weren't allowed into this other place, could still come and worship and Out of the convenience for the others, they had taken up their area. Verse 18, it says, And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. They, this is partly, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, they were like, What authority do you have to go in and do this? They were mad because Jesus was taking the authority that was rightfully his and they didn't like it. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. And on the way out of the city, we see the fig tree again. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered to its roots. Not just leafless, withered to the root, dead to the core. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, I don't know why they're constantly shocked or amazed at what Jesus does. But they are, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus probably like, yeah, you heard me say it. <laughs> I believe this was a pronouncement of judgment for the people that Jesus came for. They were all leaves and no fruit which is a big danger for the southerner in this area, that we would look from afar a beautifully growing, fruitful Christian. But up close, past the leaves, there's no fruit. So Jesus had two lessons that he wanted to teach out of this that I'm going to um, tell you. We're going to finish with these two lessons. So he tells them, okay, he's like, thank you, Peter, for acknowledging that. Yes, that's what happened. So he teaches them out of this. And this is what he teaches them. Uh, Both are related to prayer. One is specifically talking about forgiveness. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, and when he's there at the mountain, there's a mountain in the distance. Whenever he's talking about this, there's a visual representation of this. Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Let me I'm just going to clarify this, and I've got some corresponding text that I want you to hear, because some may read this and be like, if I say the right words with the right heart, I'm going to get whatever I want. Lord, I want a million dollars right outside that door in a black bag right after service it's got my name on it i mean and and we're like i say it without doubt and and we we've got to be careful because this is the name it and claim this is where they get that idea from is that if i just have enough faith god is going to do whatever i want and let me let me just clarify Um, prayer is not a blank check that you get whatever you want and and i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna give you three references here that i think will clarify it's still telling you the same thing think and believe Pray like God has the capacity to do it. And if you pray long enough, God will change your heart, just like the persistent widow. First John 5.13. John was there, saw this, wrote this later. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have a- eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have for uh, towards him that if you ask anything and this is I, I bolded if you ask anything according to his will he hears us and if you know that he hears us in whatever we ask we know that he, that we have the request that we have asked him for the pivotal point in there is according to his will and this whole message is just like last week god's not done Stay close to Him. If we stay close to God, we will ask things that are related to His heart because we're close to Him. We'll feel the heartbeat of God according to His will. So ask, and it will be, but it's going to be according to His will, not according to your whim and your heart's desire, which I know is a text that you're like, whoo! Um, but John fifteen seven is another one. If you abide in me, which is the critical point, And my words, abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The idea here is that if you're connected to the Father, you're going to be praying His prayers. You're going to be praying His heart. You're going to be wanting the things that He wants. And just in case you don't believe me with those two, got one more that I think will trump all of those. What did Jesus pray in the garden? Matthew 26, 39, the second half of it. My Father, I read this this morning in Mark also, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. So Jesus is praying, hey God, if you can do this any other way than me going to the cross, do it. He's asking. but, He says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I mean, the Lord's Prayer is the same. That's the idea here. See, we want to see the power of God moving in our lives, but we want to see see it through the lens of what He wants to accomplish. If you know yourself well enough, you understand that you've made a lot of mistakes. Based on information that you thought was correct. That as time moved on, you're like, yeah, that was a dumb decision. But when we stay connected to the Father, He moves in us in a way that will change our world. Here's the second thing. So the first one is how you have access to pray. The second one in verse 25, it says, And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Forgive you your trespasses. One of the biggest things that will make you an unfruitful person will be unforgiveness. Because unforgiveness is a prison that you put yourself into because you're not trusting God with that thing enough to give it to him. And let me just clarify, because I think sometimes with all the horrible things that have happened to some of us in this room, you think forgiveness is permission for them to redo whatever has happened before. No. It is giving that situation, giving that thing to the Father and letting it go to him. So what do we do? Leaves cannot hide the reality of really what's going on now you may fool every single person in this room you may and we talk about this all the time i talk about it regardless of how horrible your ride to church was we have this universal law that when we step out of that car or pull into the street that we're going to pretend we love each other we're going to put that leave jacket on that's like yep We're good. We're solid believers. We love each other. We never yell at our children. We never fight in the morning on the way to church. We pretend. And let me just tell you over and over again, whatever is in darkness, hear this. Whatever is in darkness, what's hidden behind the leaves will come to the surface. Whatever you're hiding will eventually come to the surface. Trust me. Trust me. What you're not allowing God into, and not confessing and repenting of will eventually ruin your life. I've seen it firsthand over and over and over again. Confess and repent of any poser life that you're living. Because this is this is what you should look like. So just in case you're wondering. What does a fruitful life look like in Jesus? Uh, Galatians five, twenty-two through 24 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh, and its passions and desires. If you want to know what fruitfulness looks like in the Christian world, it is not perfection. Hear me. So if you're not like 100% on this fruitfulness, like have some grace. God's still working on you. But this is where we should be li- living, and at least striving for. If there is no love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control ebbing out of your life, and there's an issue. And there's something that needs to happen to change that. So maybe this is your mountain that you need to have faith to be thrown into the sea. That you've spent so much of your life pretending to be something that you don't know how to let that go. You don't know how to crucify its passions, because when I was in the sixth grade and I, and I, I got those shoes, I just wanted, I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be a part of something. I wanted to be cool. Well, I still want to be cool. <laughs> it's an issue for me. I'm taking it to the Lord in just a second. But the problem is is I was trying to make myself. I was trying to put something on that others would see that would perceive me as something that I was not, which is a star soccer player. This is his work and you. See, the, the beauty is, I am the vine, you are the branches. Any man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. There is no fruit without connection, Period. So if your issue is you have no fruit, your first issue is you don't have connection. And I'm not talking about salvation here. There are seasons where we've just, we've intentionally disconnected ourselves and we need to return. We need to realize that there will be no fruitfulness that will come out of my life, disconnect, there will be nothing that comes out of us. See, we don't have to fake what God gives us for free. And the beauty is, And I I want to, as a pastor of a church, confess to you, not necessarily something that we've done here, but something that's done over and over again, is that we produce a system that allows people to fake. And we pat them on their back and tell them they're good instead of looking into their eyes and going, how are you doing? Really? What's God wanting to do? And like, I want to confess as churches in general, that we're sorry that we've produced an environment where it is acceptable to be fake and phony. And I have strived over the almost nine years of REACH for us to be as authentic, even if that means me up here saying some of the dumb things that I do. I want you to understand that we're all trying to be what God's called us to be, and it's difficult but this is His work. Stop trying to be something. Because as long as we fake that entry, we'll experience none of the life that He promises us. Remember when I talked about the, the, you know, not the vaccine, like COVID vaccine, but like the, the Jesus vaccine, that we get just enough of Jesus that we miss the real thing. Don't let your leaves, don't let this outer coating keep you from allowing God to shake your foundations and get rid of all the fake stuff so that he can produce fruit in you. So I'm going to invite our worship team back up. And this is what I want you to ask. Ask for fruit. Jesus says we don't have because we don't ask. If you feel like there's none of Galatians 5.22 that's growing in you. Ask for it. Now, he's typically going to say, Come, come, submit, surrender. Uh, beginning of January, I felt like um, God said this was a season of rebuilding in me. So I asked a dumb question. So What do you want to rebuild? And I felt like he told me, he said, I'll rebuild anything that you give me. And I feel like this morning, um, God's given you the same promise: He'll rebuild and restore anything you're willing to give Him. But through that, beginning to end, is always connection, and connection is one of the most difficult things that you'll do because it's it's kind of unknown. Like that's why we hide behind these. Leaves at times because it's more difficult to really be transparent. It's really difficult to spend the time listening, asking, and obeying. But that's what God wants from us. Don't settle for less than a real, fruitful life. Let's pray. Jesus, you know the ins and outs of every single person. Lord, you see through the leaves literally right now. Lord, I ask that you would allow your conviction, that loving, graceful, mercy-filled conviction to draw us out of what we've been hiding behind. Faithfully lay it at your feet and say, Jesus, restore. Lord, I know that there's relationships in this room, husbands and wives. That there's no fruit there because they're still trying to make it on their own. They're still trying to be what you need them to be connected to you. So Lord, I pray that we would surrender our relationships. I pray that we would surrender uh, our hearts of being parents. Lord, I pray that right now that you would expose to us areas of unforgiveness that we're living in. And that you would encourage us to lay those things at your feet so we can walk in freedom. Lord, I right now, in the name of Jesus, rebuke the lie of the enemy that would say hiding is better. Stay behind those things because people won't accept you or love you if they know the truth. And Jesus, or we proclaim that that's why you went to the cross. There's grace and mercy for all of those who surrender and submit to you. So break the lie and begin afresh in us. So Lord, as we worship you, Lord, I pray that you would do in us, in our hearts, that you would challenge us to be the men and women that you desire and that you've designed us to be. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.